Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so happy that you've braved the weather to be with us this morning. Um, if you are able, we would love if you would stand and worship with us this morning as we get started.
Amen, you guys. Good job. Will you bow your heads? Good morning, everyone. Dear Heavenly Father, you've filled, you've filled the world with beauty. Thank you for the sacrifice you have made for us on the cross, and thank you for helping our hearts rest in your presence. In a busy world, it is here with you that we find truth, grace, and mercy. We pray that you open our eyes to see your glory and acknowledge your gracious hand in all your works that, rejoicing in your creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness and warmth for the sake of him through whom all things were made, your son, Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, you have made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your son. We ask you to look with compassion on our entire human family we ask this as the conflict in Ukraine continues to heighten and the worldly pursuits of power and greed inflict pain, hurt, and sorrow on so many innocent people that you guide the nations of the world into the way of justice and truth and establish among them that peace which is the fruit of your righteousness. Take away the arrogance and the hatred which infects our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us, unite us in bonds of love, and help us work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purpose on earth. That in your time, Heavenly Father, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne through Jesus Christ our Lord, an eternal God in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known, but the strength of love. So mightily spread abroad your spirit that all peoples may be gathered under the banner 
of the Prince of Peace as children of one Father. And Lord, we thank you for this La Jolla Community Church body and for all the people who come to praise your name. We ask that you encourage our hearts and help us remember that throughout every day, alongside every step we take and every decision we make, we remember that you, you're right there next to us, helping us along the way. And when the footsteps in the sand turn from two sets to one, we ask that you help Help us remember that it is your footsteps that remain as you carry us through our own personal trials. Almighty Lord, we ask that your spirit watch over the leaders of our church from Pastor Steve here at home to the leaders, the leaders spreading your word and truth across the nations. Grant that your truth may be preached and truly heard, your commandments faithfully taught and faithfully received. By your spirit, fashion our lives according to the example of your son and grant that we may show the power of your love to among all whom we live. Lord, we praise you in all your glory and humbly ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody survived the rain? I do have to apologize. I think the rain was my fault. The youth had an event yesterday, and we may have exploded something full of glitter in the parking lot. So I prayed that my mistakes would be covered up so I wouldn't get in trouble. So I apologize. Anyway, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Youth Ministries Director here at La Jolla Community Church, and I just want to welcome everybody to our wonderful church this morning. On your way in, you should have received one of our awesome little bulletins. If you notice, these bad boys fold right in half, and our hope and our prayers, you would take this top half home. You would invite somebody to church, let them know that you love them, let them know that you are a part of a community that wants to love on them. On the back side, there is uh, an invite to our Easter block party, which Connie's going to tell us about a little bit in a little bit, but please take this top half home, give it to somebody. Somebody, invite them, let them know what's going on here at church. The bottom half of this card, that is for you. The first side says, get connected with us. We here at La Jolla Community Church want, want to get you involved in some of the wonderful ministries that we've got going on. Whether it's some of the crazy youth events that are going on, or it's our Sunday welcoming team, whatever you would like to be a part of, we would like to get you involved here at La Jolla Community Church. So please take a moment, fill that out, and then on your way out, you can drop that off in our little baskets. But on the other side of that card, it says, let us pray for you. See, we at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in covering all the needs and all the desires of our congregation. So if you've got something difficult going on in your life, maybe you have a friend, a family member, a relative, a neighbor that you want to see come to church, please take a moment, fill out this card. There should be pens in the baskets right in front of you. Please take a moment, let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know how we can pour some love out onto your family. Or maybe you have a praise report. One of our, uh, Jacob, I'm calling you out, I'm sorry Jacob, uh, just had something awesome happen with some tests of his. He filled out a praise report. It's one of the most beautiful things that I get to do is just celebrate the wonderful things that are going on here at La Jolla Community Church. So please, from the big or the small, take a moment, fill out that prayer card. We would love, love, love to pray for you. Uh, this prayer card, along with the Connect card on the back, and your offering envelopes, which should be in the seat backs directly in front of you. There's a box mounted on the wall here in the sanctuary, as well as in the Welcome Center, if you would like to drop those off on your way out. But I'm going to invite Connie up to teach us a little bit about this Easter block party. Go ahead, Connie. Thank you. All right. Hello. It's good to see you all. All right, I am here to ask a big old favor. 
So like, like Ryan said, in two weeks on April the 2nd, on a Saturday from 3 to 5, we're going to be having our children's Easter block party. Woo -woo. Right. It's going to be a very big event. And it's for our church families, it's for the preschool, and for the community. So um, I actually have two favors. The first one is that it's going to be sponsoring the Ladle Fellowship, which is an organization that helps the homeless. So what we're going to be asking for is gently used um, adult clothes, mostly men's, shoes, blankets, um, suitcases, backpacks, things like that. So uh, start cleaning out your closets. So that's one. But the second one is I really would love every single one of you here. I would love your help. So it's a very big operation. Uh, we have a tomb that you walk through. We have an Easter egg hunt. We have a food section. We have face painting and two petting zoos. Mm. And I know I'm forgetting a whole bunch. Oh, games and crafts. So this is where we can need your help. So um, either if you don't like kids too much and they drive you crazy, then come in the morning and you can help us set up. And then from 3 to 5, what I really would just love is you guys be the face of this church and you just show Jesus, everybody, your love. And then we are a happening rocking church. Woo -woo! So thank you. I will be out in the patio with my clipboard and I'll get your name and then you tell me how you would like to help. It's going to be a great event. Awesome. Thank you. Oh. All right, so I'm the guy to, I'm the closer. Uh, how many of you are going to be here on April 2nd to help set up or be there during the thing or to clean up? Okay, I'm going to use different languages until everybody understands what I just said. Okay, if, if you're not ready to raise your hand, um, that's okay. The doors will be locked. <laughs> no. uh, this is serious because... Uh, we're coming out of this COVID thing, and people are freaked out about going anywhere. Uh, at one point, we had 1,500 people coming to events here. We'd put these amazing events on. The fire guys <clears throat> would bring their truck down. All the kids in their little fire outfits would pose next to it like it was their rig. You know? And so one of the things we've done to build relationships with the community is to figure out ways to meet community needs. And one of the things the community really needs right now is a way to connect outdoors with their kids and do something fun. And so people who have no interest in Jesus whatsoever say, I love the idea that somebody's making it possible for me and my kids to have an experience together. And so it's not a bait and switch. We don't make them listen to something or, or go to something. We just say, welcome, let's have a great time together. And, and that builds neat relationships. Pretty fun. A guy was talking to me after the Christmas Eve service, and uh, he said, you know, I first came here when you guys were giving away the Christmas trees. And if you remember, it was a really tough time after 2008 or whatever it was, and the economy was in the... In the, in the pits, and somebody came up with the idea that, hey, we could actually buy all the stock from an Oregon Christmas tree farm, and if we charge everybody the normal price for a tree, 50 bucks, we could give away three trees for free. And so a bunch of you worked on that. And so for three years in a row, the Marines would come from uh, Miramar and, and unload the trucks. Then all of our crew would, would be there to welcome people. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every year for three years. So this guy said, you know, I, I first got introduced to this church doing that. And I said, wow, what do you do? And he said, I'm a psychiatrist at UCSD. I asked him, how do you feel about that? And he said, uh, well, funny you should ask, you know. But he said, I thought that was the neatest thing you guys did. And I said, yeah, well, thanks. It was just because it was a real need. So these events aren't because we need to do something. It's because something needs to be done. And so however you might want to do that, 
for half an hour to help set up or an hour to set up or to be there for the two hours, you'll walk away saying, that was so great, so wonderful. Uh, one final thing I'd say is a lot of the people who live in this community um, are at UCSD as graduate students, postgraduate students, postdoctoral students. A lot of them are working for the, the you know, big pharma biosciences uh, research people. And a lot of them, uh, English is their second language and definitely their second culture. But they see this little church as a light. And so they send their kids to our preschool. We say, we're a Christian preschool. And they say, that's okay. We understand what you're doing to help kids learn, and we really like that. So this is part of the movement of God's spirit in this little place, in this big city. And so when we talk about these kinds of things, uh, we really are saying, we're, we're part of a missional movement we want you to be a part of. And we make the bar for entry so low, all you have to do is show up. Uh, and not much more than that. <clears throat> and then what we end up seeing years later are people then mainstreaming into the culture, uh, bringing all their gifts and insights about the culture, and all of a sudden you, you, know, you realize, my gosh, what a gift it was having these people show up and having somebody say, we care about you, we notice you, we see you, we're glad you're here. Well, this ties in with what we're talking about today. Think of every movie you've ever seen. <clears throat> every movie you've ever seen uh, is a narrative arc. A narrative arc. They're trying to tell you a story or take you someplace. Uh, Jen and I um, watched that old movie, uh, Out of Africa, uh, last night. Uh, what an amazing movie real, about real people. And, and the woman who's featured in that movie, uh, Karen Blixen, uh, her writing name was Isaac Dinesen. And she wrote that story out of Africa about her own life. She also wrote one of my favorite stories and movies of all time, Babette's Feast. This woman was a genius at narrative arcs. Um, think of every great movie you've ever seen. I mean, even the lamest movie you've ever seen has to have a, a, a really great opening. You know, James Bond, every movie shows up, he's in that Toyota Celica, whatever he's driving. And it comes. No, it's not a Toyota Celica. It's a really awesome Austin, uh, uh, Aston Martin, right? This Aston Martin. Um, and you think, oh, the game is on. And it's a movie about nothing, zero, nothing. At the end of it, you realize, I just watched a movie about nothing. But the entire narrative arc was you were grabbed by, the, if nothing else, the technology. And, and you know, good overcame evil. So this is the power, power, power of every book you've ever seen, every show you've ever watched, every movie. There's a powerful narrative arc. And the Bible is a narrative arc. Not created by human ingenuity, but revealed to us by God engaging human ingenuity under the auspices of the sovereign God. And so in Jesus, we see that the Old Testament reaches its narrative arc in him. That the narrative arc of the, of the Bible starts out with all creation coming together. We find out later that it was created through someone for someone. We, we find out later that it was created through Christ for people. Then we see that's the first two chapters. In the third chapter, it all falls apart big giant conflict and now you're hooked you're thinking this beautiful creation and now you're telling me this is where evil comes from whoa I know all about evil and then the rest of the, the narrative is, is engaging us in, in how God personally is committed to reconciling us to himself and it touches on so many different cultures and languages and, and political movements and every single one of those movements in that narrative remind us of movements that we experience you can't watch the news or read the newspaper or however you get your media, uh, your news, whatever media you use for, for that, 
without saying what is happening today is not new. It's not new. Think about that. About 2,000 years ago, a couple of guys, a couple of Greek guys, wild and crazy Greek guys, had come to know Jesus. And they said, you know, there are so many people who don't know Jesus. Let's go to the baddest place we can think of. The toughest people, the most resistant warrior-like people that we can find. Let's go tell them about Jesus. And so these two um, friends, uh, actually brothers, um, Cyril and Alexander, went out into the, wild, the wildest you know, wilderness, past the Roman Empire, past the, the Byzantine, you know, what later became the Byzantine Empire, and they found these people. And they, they, <clears throat> they talked to them about Jesus. And the people said, okay, we, we, we're in. And, and uh, do you have any, any, any literature to support this? They didn't actually say that. But Cyril and Alexander said, hey, we noticed you guys are very eloquent. Uh, you tell great stories, but you don't have any written language. And they said, no, we don't. We've been really busy killing people and dominating other tribes and building our empire. And, and they said, well, uh, do you mind if we create an alphabet for you? And so Cyril uh, works on it, and he creates an alphabet that then becomes a language that then becomes the basis for them having the word of God. And this is called the Cyrillic alphabet. And to this day in Russia, the patriarch of the Russian church right now, his name is Cyril. In Russian, it's Kirill. I was reading uh, some comments he made, which were outrageous comments justifying the, the war. I, uh, and he's, dis, he's disassociated himself from all the other Orthodox churches because they don't agree with him. And they're saying, this is wrong, Kirill. And he said, you're wrong. But I thought, wow, if the, old, the original Cyril showed up and said, Kirill, can we talk? This is not the message we brought to Russia. This is not the message that you have embraced. There's a better finish to this narrative arc. You, are you with me on this? This is the power of God's word. And so we see the narrative arc of God's work culminating in Jesus. What starts beautifully then immediately goes bad. We think, oh no. And over and over again throughout uh, that biblical narrative, uh, you see it's looking promising and then going bad. The exile of the people, the disobedience of the people, the rebellion against God of the people. And then in Christ you see something amazing happening. And now you're back in thinking, where is this going to go? And now where we sit, long after the, the, the official Bible is, has been finished, and now it's playing out to a new creation, we're saying, it's really kind of bad again. Where's this going to go? Um, so in Jesus, we see the Old Testament narrative arc fulfilled. And, and, and a major player in that narrative arc was Moses. You know that. Uh, the prince of Egypt, uh, we talked about him last, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, he takes on new meaning, as does Joshua, his, his, his partner in that endeavor. And, and, and their process, their, their call by God and their ministry initiates this process of liberation for the people of, of Israel and to this new promised land. Um, again, it culminates and is personified in Jesus. We'll see how. And so Jesus' ministry reflects and emulates Moses' ministry and is in fact affirmed by Moses. This is how interesting this narrative arc is. Because we see in what we call the New Testament, uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel, um, this incredible scenario described, a, a th an event that really happened, but it's so different and, and, and out of our normal way of 
understanding how things work, that it, it's riveting because you think, what is going on here? And so here it is in, in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, and, and Jesus and the disciples have been moving from the north of Israel, um, Mount Hermon, where it's covered in snow right now, people are skiing. Kind of slushy because it's spring skiing, but they're skiing in Israel right now. And that's where the Jordan River starts. And as they're moving down toward Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to confront the religious authorities uh, at Passover and ultimately be crucified, on the way down there, uh, Jesus takes uh, Peter and uh, John and says, come with me, we're going to go for a little hike up this mountain. And there's a couple guesses about which mountain it is between Mount Hermon and Jerusalem, which is on a mount. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, so the, 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 the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. Uh, something happens where he just starts glowing. It's like the glory of God is revealed in his person, and so he's glowing. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and then the prophet Elijah says, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> uh, in Hebrew, it, it, the word is, this is awesome. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. This is where it kind of turns, this is where they've come out, they've come out somehow um, spliced in dumb and dumber to the narrative arc uh, because you're in the presence of Jesus who's now transfigured. You see Moses and Elijah. Elijah, somehow you know it's Moses and Elijah and you're so overcome with joy and honored to be there that you say, this is fantastic. Thank you. By the way, I can make it even better. I can, can create a little shelter for you, a little windbreak up here, a little place to get out of the sun and, and as if they need this, you know, um, and this is the human nature part of this story that you think, okay, this is definitely a true story because Peter would have never allowed this to be printed. If, if this was a fake, you know, nobody would want this in print. And now it's forever. People go, Peter, nice move. Nice move on the, on the offer for the shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You get your own space. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And, and there's an intervention, an intervention on the mountain. And a voice from the cloud said, would you please be quiet? Um, I don't know what it sounded like in Hebrew or whatever language God spoke to them. He made the point. This is my son whom I love. With him, with him, I'm well pleased right now. <laughs> Listen to him. I think that cut through any confusion in Peter's mind about what was the right thing to do at this moment. We read this narrative arc, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it. We go off on all kinds of tangents. I know, I think we should, what if we... But what we're seeing here is that Moses himself is affirming Jesus' ministry and authority. Elijah, the great prophet of God, at the Passover table, there's a cup for Elijah. When the Messiah comes, um, this is going to be the Messiah's cup. We call it the cup of Elijah. Nobody touches it during the Passover Seder dinner. Seder just means the order of the dinner. This is in there the whole time. Nobody even says anything about it. This cup of wine is always there. Nobody touches it. It was a cup that Jesus drank out of when he had the Passover with his disciples. So here's Elijah. Here's Moses affirming Jesus. And God now affirms Jesus. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And so the disciples finally wise up and understand the moment. They fell face down to the ground, terrified. And this sense terrified is to be filled with such awe and wonder and overwhelmed with the magnificence of it. You realize, I am so puny in comparison. It's so, I am so small and insignificant in this moment. And yet, this moment was about them. This conversation was about them. How do we save these people who were created to know God and walk with him and enjoy him now and forever? But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And here's the kicker for me in this, in this passage. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. They saw no one except Jesus. This series that we're walking through during Lent, we're calling it Why Jesus? The reason we call it, I'm calling it Why Jesus, asking that question is because there is no one else. There is no one else. Having seen the glory of God and you're face down and terrified and you feel the touch of God saying, get up, don't be afraid. I'm with you, I'm for you. All you see is Jesus. No one except Jesus. At the beginning of history, through whom all things are created, at the end of history, through all things are going to be redeemed, the new heaven and the new earth, it's Jesus. Jesus is God's yes to humanity's question, do you really care? Is there a God and does it he, she, really care. And the God who says, I, I am. I am who was, I am who is, I am who will be. Yes, I care. Jesus answers Israel's enduring question, how should we then live? When they came back from exile, two parts of the country, both taken into exile, when, when the final um, southern kingdom, Judah, comes back from exile. They're trying to get it together. The other ten tribes are long gone. Like, like just so much pollen thrown up in the air and it goes off in the wind. But now there's just two tribes that have, be, have returned from exile. And they're working, 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 trying to figure it out. And, and finally, the prophet Ezekiel says, Lord, how, how do we get this right? How should we then live? This is a human question, isn't it? Every culture wrestles with this question. How, did, how then should we live? Right now, you know, there's literature created and being disseminated in every public and private school in this nation trying to tell children how identity and culture is formed. And you know how they tell them it's formed? Uh, this is in print. You can look it up. This is a, a curriculum distributed from, from public schools to private schools and now uh, making its way to Christian schools. And it says things like this. Uh, it's your sense of identity. Your, it's how you feel about you that shapes your identity. It's how your culture feels about you that shapes your identity. And you read this document, you think this is the wimpiest, most insignificant, superficial document I've ever read because it completely misses how identity and culture is shaped. Identity and culture, this is a no-brainer, this is 101, Identity and culture is shaped by values and character. 
I know what your culture is. I know who you are because I, I understand what you've just told me or showed me about your values. You showed me your values in your behavior and in your character. Think about that. An identity, an individual identity and the, the, a cultural identity. You know, we call, um, we talk of individuals as personalities, collectives of individuals in some self-identified group is called a syntality, a, a, a group of people who all have personalities. This is what identity and culture are all about. How should we then live? How do I shape my identity and my culture? And the problem is it's just out of reach. It's always just out of reach. And this is the big narrative arc of the Bible. Over and over and over again, you see this. The, well, the good intentions of human beings. Every single human being I, want, I know wants to get it right. Putin is saying right now, it should be this way. All right, fair enough. You feel like it should be that way. Uh, I'm going to look at your values, and I'm going to look at your character. I'm going to determine if that's the way I, I want it to be. And everybody can look at anybody else and say, is, are those values the values I want to aspire to, embrace, be influenced by? And poverty is not the ultimate excuse. Wealth is not the ultimate solution. This is the irony. Well, if I only was less poor or, you know, poor people are, or wealthy people are, and you go, no, 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 no. All those circumstances, this is what these documents that are being given to, to children and youth are saying. Your circumstances are what it's all about and how you feel about them. With no conversation about, is there any other data that should be considered in this question about identity and culture? And it's not a political solution. It's not socioeconomic or political. It's a solution that goes beyond human capacity to bring into the party. This is why that great Latin phrase, extra nos, from outside of us. This is the solution in this narrative arc. It comes from outside of us. We do not have what it takes inside of us to get it together. So when I ask the question, why Jesus? He's the only one left. He's the only one credible. He's the only one with the authority. Who's the only, he's the only one who's ever walked the planet whose claims, character, and resurrection all line up to say he has what it takes to get it done. His life tells us how we should live. He said, I've come to give you life like the life I live in all its fullness. Come follow me. Trust in me. Rest in me. And so he's, he's God's yes to humanity's question, do you care? And he's the answer to that enduring question, how should we then live? And so we see through Moses, the Israelites experience, they experience God's central saving act. Moses saves the people, so to speak, gives them the law. Um, he takes them to the promised land. He initiates the Passover. And then we see that Jesus personifies and personalizes the Passover at his Last Supper. This is about me. It's my body and my blood given for you. Jesus was leaving his disciples, and in that last meal he said, you know, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you, then you'll come. And they're saying, where are you going? Thomas says, well, how do we know? Where, where are you going? And he says, you, you do know the way, for I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That wasn't a boast. It was a promise. It was an invitation. It was just like him putting his hand on Peter saying, don't be afraid. Get up. 
This is all good. Moses, the lawgiver, brings down Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, and the law defines the covenant, this new relationship, this bond of faithfulness between God and people. And then guess what? Then Jesus fulfills the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm the, one, I'm the only one who can fill it and fulfill it. I'm the only one who can pass that pop quiz. I'm the only one who can actually get through this obstacle course that you so desperately need to get through to get to the righteousness of God. So he brings us grace and truth and gives us abundant life forever. So we see according to Matthew's gospel, which really Matthew's gospel was an an apologetic from Moses' ministry fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus embodies and fulfills Moses' ministry. Jesus' death and resurrection fulfills God's central saving action to rescue, redeem, and restore people. That's the first thing. The second thing, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion, those phrases are what we use. Celebrates our salvation, substantively brings us spiritual sustenance. It's not just symbolic when we do communion. There's something substantive going on there. The actual life of Jesus is is touching ours. It just doesn't point to something. Yeah, Jesus has life. It's that, no, it's saying you can experience something. Jesus is life in you. And the third thing is that Jesus rearticulates the commandments in his Sermon on the Mount. In a sense, that was a new version of Sinai, what we call that collective time of teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And then finally, at his last meal again, he says, hey, here's a new commandment for you. Love one another as I have loved you. People will know that you are my disciples as you love one another. A new commandment. And that word commandment uh, is a mandate. That's what the, the Latin word uh, version of it is, a mandate. Um, and then that became, in European language, uh, uh, a mande. And then in English it becomes mandi. And then we celebrate Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday isn't just a guy confused about the days of the week. Is it Monday or Thursday? I don't know. Let's just have dinner. You know, it's, it's that Monday. It's remember the mandate. The lawgiver himself, who personifies the law, gave us a new commandment. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbors ourselves. Whoa, that sounds like the Old Testament. Ah, yeah, remember, Jesus fulfills that. He personifies that. And so God revealed his name to Moses. Moses said, what should I call you? Who should I tell them sent me? I am. And then Jesus revealed that he is I am. When he was under trial, right? Who are you? You know, and basically said, I am. Jesus the Savior is signposted in his namesake, Joshua, who means God will save, God who saves. The saving God, the name Joshua. Yeshua is Jesus' name in Hebrew. Yeshua, Joshua, the God who saves. And as Joshua was faithful to his mission, so was Jesus. As Joshua was brave and willing to face overwhelming odds, so was Jesus. Joshua was a servant leader, so was Jesus. I love the way uh, we see in, in when they finally come to the promised land, it's Joshua who's going to actually lead them into it. Moses brought them to it. Now Joshua is going to lead them into it and establish them as a nation. And there's a moment of hesitation on the part of Israel. I don't know. I don't know if this is really a good idea or not. And you can imagine Joshua going, 40 years of this, I'm done. And so what he said was, all right, all right. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was it. People said, okay. Okay. 
And basically he was saying what shapes my identity is what's going to shape this culture. Are you in or out? Do you want this to shape your identity and your culture or not? Because you know, he said, you know what the gods of those Amorites and those other people are like? You know what their values are? You know what their behaviors are? You know what their, their character individually and collectively? You know what they're like? We're called to be something different and better. Not because we are different and better. We're just like them. But because God wants to make all of us different and better, he's starting with us. Assuming, I guess, that if, we, if God can work with us, he can work with anybody. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we see that Joshua chose to serve the God who saves. And then we find out that Jesus is the God who saves. I think, oh my gosh. This narrative arc is stunning in its complexity and also in its simplicity. It cuts through the fog. So the Old Testament, or the First Testament, is a history documenting what God was doing to save us. And it prepared us for what would happen at just the right time. And now the Apostle Paul, formerly Rabbi Paul, is saying to some people who are followers of Jesus in the territory of, uh, of Turkey called Galicia, a, a, like a province, and all these little towns, Colossia, etc. Right, he writes to them, he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now he's using an Aramaic term, Abba, a very personal, tender uh, term for God. Dad, Pop, Daddy, Papa. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. You have a new identity. Slave, Sinner no longer adequately describes you or defines you. You are a beloved child of God. Yeah, but I'm still a sinner. Your new identity, the only one that matters, you are a beloved child of God. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. He's going to give you everything that he has. All that belongs to him, he's going to make available to you. Every time I meet a really fabulously wealthy person, I gently and respectfully inquire as to whether or not they're adopting. I'm an orphan. Both my parents are deceased, so I qualify. Are you adopting? I know he's a little caught off guard at first. Adopting. Oh, you? No. Okay, just checking. See, God has said, you're adopted. You're in. You're part of the family. Stop apologizing, giving excuses for why you're not worthy. You are part of this family. So in Christ, we're free, we're beloved, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And so how should we then live? Well, being set free means learning how to live as free people. Do you know how hard it is to learn how to be a free person? If you take somebody from a horrifically authoritarian culture, uh, say Berkeley, um, um, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, Mozambique, let's say. You know. If you take somebody from an authoritarian culture and you bring them to the freedom of the United States and say, hey, you're free. How well do you think that works for them? No. The excesses of materialism or the depresses of materialism uh, sink in and people go, I'm lost here. I'd rather go back. What did the, Egypt, what did, what did the Israelis say about you know, being free from their Egyptian captivity? Hey, it's looking good, pretty good back there. Is it too late to go back? 
We have a hard time learning how to live as free people, don't we? You can take a person out of bondage and slavery, and it's a hard thing to help them become free. Uh, a, a battered woman takes a lot of initiative, fortitude, deep therapy, and, and robust you know, supportive community to help her. The child has been abandoned and abused. needs a lot of... The rescue dog. Anyone and anything that's ever been through a horrific situation has that inevitable PTSD, which has so shaped them that they are defensive and on guard at all moments. They're on high alert all the time. We've been made free by Christ, but now we need to learn how to live into that as free people. So Moses and Joshua had to teach and coach the people in their new identity. Moses and Joshua were leading the people into a land promised by God. Not merely a new status, hey, a new place, a new neighborhood, new zip code, but a new way of being, seeing themselves, seeing the world around them, interacting with one another, and living life righteously. A community of people with God at the center, blessed to be a blessing. That was their new identity. Can you imagine how hard it is to live into that? We all know how difficult that is. Why? Because we don't just need a new zip code, a new address, a new suit of clothes, a nicer house, access to more things. It's just not enough. What we need is transformation. This is the reality, the humbling reality of being a human being. We need transformation. Well, certainly, if you were from a billionaire family and your mom ran the entire country, and at one point the sun never set on her empire, wouldn't Prince Andrew have a pretty easy go of it? No, 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 no. And the burden it puts on him, since I have all this stuff, I should have it together, but instead I've been doing some things I'm absolutely ashamed of, my mother is ashamed of, the whole world is disappointed with me, and if I could crawl under a big rock and hide, I would. You see how this goes? Every opportunity is still short of the transformation, God alone. And that's why we say, when it's all done, it's nobody but Jesus. And so the law was a guide and a standard, but also a constant reminder of their sin. You don't meet the standard. So keep sacrificing. And yet, God gave them this promise of reconciliation, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. As they, as they were going into exile, the prophet Jeremiah says, you know what, it's, it's not going well for us. God has a message for you. <clears throat> and here's out of Joshua, uh, Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. The two groups have been taken and cast to the wind in exile. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was like a faithful husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Again, Paul, quoting Paul in his letter to the Romans, Paul says it this way, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. He was perfect, and yet he was a human being. The new Adam, we talked about this last week. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. This is deep, deep stuff that takes a while to unpack. We don't have the time this morning to unpack this. But Paul's saying this is the outrageous mystery, the enigma wrapped in a mystery, the deep theology that supports this amazing denouement, you know, this narrative completion of the ark that you've been exposed to through all of God's revelations over time in the Old Testament. So he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. A new way of living and being and experiencing life. And this is the process we're in. You might say the person who's taken out of captivity, whatever form of captivity that is, has had a transforming moment. You're now free. You're liberated. Those bad people can't get to you anymore. But that moment needs to now turn into momentum. It's a moment, clear, unequivocal. You're no longer that. But now we've got to live into the momentum of where does this go? So Jesus is, Jesus is the new Adam, and Jesus is the new Moses and Joshua. And we see that we need more than relocation. We need more than uh, rehabilitation. We need more than rehabituation. What we need is rebirth. And this is why the Bible says you must be born again. It's become a trite cliche. People mock, oh, you're one of those born again. I've had conversations with people, they go, man, this whole Jesus thing, it's, I'm, I'm, it's amazing to me. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know him. I, I really want to be part of this community. Wow. I, but thank God you aren't those, like those born again people. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, you know, the born again people. I said, well, actually, this is a born again people movement. No, no, no. No, you've maybe had some funky version of people who in Jesus' name mugged you and, and said things to you and did things to you. But the fact is that anybody who's alive in Christ is born again. So we aren't returning to something familiar. We've never been here before. This is why you know, rehabilitation is ridiculous. You've never been habilitated. Well, I mean, I'm going to rehab. No, you're not. You're going to hab. <laughs> you don't know how to function. You're learning how to function. Don't give yourself credit for being a rehab person. None of us are rehab people. We just kind of soften it by, yeah, it's rehab. I was really together, and then I don't know what happened. No, I've never been together. And I don't know how to make it happen. It's more than a need for all those things, as good as they are. Relocation, rehabilitation, rehabituation. I need rebirth. I need to be a new version of me, a better version of me. The one that God can do that I can't. This is where the story goes. So we're not returning to something familiar. We're learning new ways to be and live. And so again, Paul writing in Romans says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's through his life that we are saved. Not just stuff we believe. As, much, as important as that is, confessing our faith is essential. It's his life in us. Well, now that I'm saved, Jesus, you can sit back and relax. I got it from here. No, the whole point is now that he's in me, he's with me. So salvation is that wonderful word that means saved from something, saved for something, and saved you know, to something. 
I'm safe from my sins, my past sins. I stand righteous before God. I'm saved in the moment by God's redeeming presence and abiding presence. And I'm being saved for something, a new version of me, a transformed me, a new heaven and a new earth. Paul says, we don't even know what it looks like. It's hard to imagine what we're going to look like and be like, but it's going to happen. So in the meantime, focus on him. Live in him. Be alive in Christ. And so Moses and Joshua could lead the people, but they couldn't live in them. So many wonderful people are telling us good ways to live. They're answering the question every day with books and all kinds of things. You know, how should we then live? We'll do this. And they're, for the most part, great stuff. The problem is those people can't live in us. Only Jesus can live in us. And until he's living in us, all that other great stuff, that advice is not very helpful. Once he's alive in us, all of a sudden that stuff shows great promise because we realize they're giving me some stuff they've learned and Jesus is going to help me learn how to actually appropriate it and live it. And he'll use other people to help me in that process as well. So it's God in Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit that makes us new creations. As I said, values and character and commitment shape identity and culture. And you can tell it's happening because you see the fruit of God's Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Integrity, generosity, hospitality. All these qualities that anybody who doesn't believe in God would say, I claim those. All right, great, go ahead. They're all good. The problem is you really can't convince me very well until you know Christ because otherwise your generosity is going to be well what's in it for me that's enough generosity for today I forgave you four times already that's it or etc 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 instead of Jesus' version is no let me show you what generosity looks like let me show you what forgiveness looks like let me show you what hospitality looks like let me show you what all those fruit of the spirit look like and feel like so you know the real thing and so we're saved by Jesus' life in ours I ask you this question, who or what is shaping your identity right now? Who or what is shaping your identity right now? This is not a, just a rhetorical question. <clears throat> uh, I, I, I wish I had time to unpack some of the conversations I've had with people about things that are shaping their identity and it causes them to be wrapped around the axle of life. I'm thinking, wow, it sounds like your mom's expectations for you shape your identity. It sounds like this QAnon thing, literally, I've had these conversations, this QAnon thing shapes your identity. Literally, this other idea over here shapes your identity. These expectations are shaping your identity internally to you or externally from other people on you. Have you ever thought about letting go of those? Because there's a better way to have your identity formed and shaped, and it's not through that stuff. It's through Jesus and his word. And you will then have the wisdom and discernment to say, oh, no, that's a good idea. I'm going to go, I'm going to embrace that. That's a great insight. I'm going to claim that. And if somebody says, well, you know, that's not really a Christian idea. It's just a, a good idea. I'll take just good ideas. Because all good ideas are transformed in Christ. No good idea doesn't have its source in Christ. So all growth is spiritual growth. Uh, to quote um, uh, John Townsend, all growth is spiritual growth. Why? Because all of it is to the glory and honor of God. Real growth honor, honors and glorifies God. And you'll find that the source is in him, even if we don't honor him as such and thank him as such. So next week, we'll see what it means to call Jesus good teacher and learn from him. So Jesus, why Jesus? Because he's the great teacher. He's a good teacher. We don't start there, though. To say Jesus is a good teacher is to miss the whole point. But we don't just say he's not a great teacher or else we will miss the whole point.
He is a great teacher. And the reason he's a great teacher is he's a great God. So we're going to explore that and unpack that next week. So Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you. Wow, that your story is shaping ours. That what is just out of reach for us is given as a gift by you to us. Through the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his, his ascension into heaven and his promised return to create a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of community, people who are coming alive in you and learning how to actually live in you. We thank you for your word that gives us direction and guidance and wisdom. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the power to actually do something, to confess and repent, to learn and grow. We thank you, Lord, for the unique gifts you've given each one of us to serve you, to bless others in your name. So, Lord, this is our prayer. That You're showing us what it means to ask the question, why Jesus, and then to answer it. For that, we give you honor and glory and praise in your high and holy name. Amen. Hey, uh, we, always, we always present ourselves as offerings to God. We hope you support the church financially in whatever way you can. Um, the Bible has some very clear instructions on how you do that, and there's all kinds of ways you can do that. Uh, I met with somebody this week, and they said, hey, I, I want to meet with you, and I said, great. You know, and they said, um, this is our estate plan. I'm like, whoa, that's so neat. You've included this church in your estate, yeah. I hope you don't get to collect on it for a very long time, but... Uh, people send us checks, people put money in the little box there, people give us stock gifts, and all, all that. Awesome. That fits under the general category of offering. But the offering that we focus on each week in worship is you. So this is a time of offering. You offering you to God as we uh, wrap up this worship time together. to one.
Because he's good, we trust him, and we trust him to care for us and to lead us and guide us, to help us get up and brush ourselves off and claim his forgiveness and continue on the journey with him, uh, to care for other people who are hard to care for and demand more of us than we think we can give, to have high aspirations and, and, and yet to be accepting of people who fall far short of our expectations. If we can pray for you, uh, as you care about other people, as you are wrestling with things in your own life, go right out that door and around the corner there's a lovely garden, a prayer garden, uh, that uh, there'll be somebody there to pray with you and to offer to pray for you and however you want them to pray for you. Uh, and you don't have to tell them why you want prayer, just say, please pray for me. And if you want to tell them, that'll help. Uh, and then uh, for the next half hour, we have this wonderful uh, brunch, uh, mini brunch. Uh, enjoy that. And then at 11... Uh, come back for this thing we call conversations. Uh, I, it's impossible to explain. It's just, how many of you have been to conversations so far? Would you say it's worth going to? Yeah, yeah it's pretty neat. And if you don't like it, you can get it and leave. But basically, it's, we, we have um, uh, some really creative video, like a five-minute thing. You watch it, and then for 10 minutes, you're in a small group discussion with other people, not arguing about what, who's right or wrong, but just saying, what did you see? Did it help you? Did it not help you? Uh, what did that... You know, spark in your thinking. What questions do you have? What did it affirm in you that you already know and believe? What did that, you know, cause you to think? Wow, I have to take another look at that. So we do a five-minute uh, presentation uh, video and then um, ten minutes of discussion, and we do that twice, and it's really fun. It goes by like that fast, and so uh, it's a high-energy thing only because people get animated when they talk about stuff that matters. So if you're on your way somewhere else, uh, call them and tell them you'd be forty-five minutes late. Um, but get something to eat, and then at 11, come back. The band will have another uh, worship song as we gather in here. And, and 45 minutes is going to go by like four or five minutes. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his, up his countenance upon us all, giving us everything we need to live in fullness of life, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.